Welcome to Calliope's Sanctum, a bi-weekly story podcast hosted by me, writer Sylvia V. Linstead. This podcast is dedicated to Calliope, primordial and first muse of epic poetry and ecstatic song in ancient Greece. This podcast is a place of sanctuary for her oldest stories. It is a return to the wild garden, to the spring, to the ground of being and the source of inspiration in the earth. Here, we honor Calliope as muse of earth. Here, you will find some of the stories beneath the stories of old Europe, short fictional and poetic pieces written and read by me that explore elements of indigenous old European mythology, which is a term coined by the late archaeologist Maria Gambutas, with a focus on pre-Hellenic, pre-patriarchal Greece. So come sit with us in the honeyed light, among the ripe pomegranates in Calliope's sanctuary where the stories that arise directly from the ground of being and life force can still be safely told and celebrated. Come, lean against the sun-warmed stones with the fragrance of propolis and myrrh in the air and the trees heavy with autumn quince. This is the garden before the fall, a sanctuary for all hearts in this time. Join us and be revived. Podcast art is by Catherine Seek. Music is by Yanis Linardakis. And podcast sound editing is by Simon Lindstedt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this new episode of Calliope's Sanctum. Um, I'm recording on the spring equinox, and the sun is shining Robins have been singing at dawn, and I know we are all globally in the midst of such intense and difficult times. So I'm going to be trying to offer actually one episode each week right now to really just provide some storytelling sanctuary, as this podcast was meant to be, um, more frequently for you. So I felt called this week to record... Um, two pieces that I wrote inspired by my time in Scotland this past August and September. I was attending a literary festival in Edinburgh, and then I went traveling um, to the western island of Iona and um, a little bit through the highlands to some ancient archaeological sites with my dear friend Asia Suler, who is the incredible mistress of One Willow Apothecaries and um, an amazing herbalist and writer. And so whenever I do anything with Asia, um, some very deep things tend to come through and some big magic. And um, one of the things that happened on Iona was that we found ourselves visiting this ruined nunnery near the abbey, which is kind of the main feature of Iona. It's a pilgrimage place to this day for Christian people and people of all faiths. So the abbey is kind of the main feature, but then nearby is this ruined nunnery that we were both just completely enchanted by. There were still roses growing in the garden, which seems maybe to be tended still amidst the ruins. And a Sheelana gig, which is a pre-Christian fertility figure found often on churches throughout the Christian era in Ireland and Scotland. Um, you'll hear more about Sheila in this piece. But I remember 
it was at a difficult time for me, and I remember the feeling of utter peace that came over me in this nunnery, just complete peace. You know, we both sat for a while just in silence in the little ruined garden area, sheltered by these reddish stones. You know, the the whole abbey, excuse me, the whole nunnery was created with locally hewn, it seemed to me, granite, because I remember seeing the same colored stones on the beaches, these beautiful, like, pinkish granite. So it had this rosy glow, the whole thing, and just this deep peace came into me sitting there, a peace that I hadn't felt in a while. And so um, later, this first piece that I'm going to share, which is called The Nunnery at the Edge of the World, just kind of came through. Um... I'm trying to think if there's anything else in it that I want to tell you about. I think it it speaks for itself. Um, I was feeling this week that actually right now I feel like we all need this nunnery, this this deep restorative space just to enter into right now. Inside of ourselves, you know, when everything feels like it's spinning in chaos, I think we're being reminded that right here, right here, where we are, you know, in the center of ourselves and the root of ourselves is the deepest sanctuary that we have. And actually profound, profound healing and peace is being offered in that place, in this moment. I think just the moment we sit down in it, we just sit down right there. And that's what this first piece is about. And also the second piece, um, I I wanted to share both because the nunnery at the edge of the world isn't terribly long. And very connected to it was a poem I wrote at the same time called The Queen of Moss and Green. And they explore the same themes in different ways, sort of the the poem builds from the nunnery. So I'll share the poem second. And um, both of them are really circling around this idea of sitting down right where you are um, and finding that center that is actually the throne of yourself and of your life. And There's a lot of imagery of the crown as well, the crown and the root. And I think both of these images are very much connected to the old, old powers of Our Lady, um, you know, the Holy Mother, Virgin Mary, the older, older goddesses of earth upon which her iconography is based. And just in this moment, the crown, the corona, is an interesting symbol, right, to feel into what that crown of light Um, in the most ancient way, might be carrying and might mean, you know, the crown, for me, feels connected to the rosary, actually. And this came to me from, partly from reading a book that I mentioned before, The Way of the Rose, by um, Clark Strand and Perdita Finn, which I highly recommend at this moment that, like, everybody stop and read. But they talk about how the rosary originally was a crown of flowers, the crown of flowers which was given to the goddesses in worship and in ritual. And then the rosary, the beads of the rosary are kind of like the buds of the the flower crown. And all of this feels connected somehow to me, just that, you know, what happens in this moment of forced stillness when we really don't know, when we're feeling really afraid, that we surrender to these deeper forces of... Um, you know, the root and the crown of our lives, the root right where we stand into the earth who nourishes us and the crown that touches into the stars that pour down their light upon us every day. And when we just stop and surrender to them, what might happen? You know, this is an act of prayer. And not to minimize any of the active panic and difficulty and um, loss 
that's happening right now, but it is offering these words as something to hold and think about and that maybe can provide a little solace as the, um, they've been the, these images and <clears throat> this way of connecting has been offering a lot of solace to me right now. So without further ado, I leave you with these two pieces born from the beautiful Scottish earth. The nunnery at the edge of the world. At the edge of the world, there is a nunnery. No one lives there now but the green and stones and the cloistered garden full of roses, the ruined walls, and the shilinigig over the refractory window who still keeps the map to the center of life right there for all to see inside her vulva. The nuns who lived here once knew this and tended to her. On cold days, they gathered in the smallest room where the fire's heat could fill all the stones and sat near to each other, body to body, scent of woman, scent of rose, scent of peat and salt and blood. The jokes they told would have made all the saints roll over in their graves, but they weren't very much concerned with those kinds of saints there on Iona, between sea and sky at the green edge of the world. Theirs were the saints of stone and wind, of ember and honeycomb, starlight and herb. There Sheila could swallow all the other saints whole, right into her welcoming vulva one by one, and bake them then and there into hot loaves, whose warmth would at last feed someone with something more than misery and martyrdom, some good proper food. Now that would be a useful thing. The nuns laughed, darning the holes in elbows, mending torn hems on cloaks, setting the dough to rise, taking out a bit of spinning. Now that would wake them up from penance and warm their bones at last, a good bake inside our Sheila. The nuns knew the still point at the center of the universe, there at the nunnery on Iona. That's what women and men came to touch when they paid the ferryman on mole to take them over the water, to ask a blessing from the Sheila, or to seek sanctuary among the nuns. The Sheila was known to grant, without fail, the wishes of those with open hearts. She was known to hide the older mysteries. Her body was the cup and ring of ancient standing stones. The nuns knew that all the secrets were one secret. Their rosary beads were rowan berries. Mary lived at the holy well of dun and was sometimes also Bridget, and sometimes Magdalene. She didn't much like to be asked about eternal youth, though. She preferred those who came simply to watch the rain falling, making circles around the still point of the drop onto the dark surface. She preferred the ones who did not fill her water with guilt, or shame, sins, or even coins. The nuns simply smiled at the ones who came asking for youth and sent them on. The well would give them what they wanted, though maybe not the way they wanted it. Eternal youth, they said, was not really the wisest thing to wish for. For what kind of living was that? Nothing real. 
When a traveller came to the gates of the nunnery, knocking at the oakwood door, they were welcomed without question. Many a lost queen washed up on that green shore, heartbroken by the world of men, not knowing what she sought or where she roamed to, only that she could go absolutely no further. Such souls always found their way to the oakwood door of the nunnery on Iona. The world's wind and tide guided them from inside their ovaries, from inside their wombs, from the center of their loss. They always looked bewildered and hungry and very windswept, and sometimes even stuck with purple seaweed. Some were queens of a whole mountain vale with lands and sheep and fighting men. Others were queens of simple shepherd's huts, of a single curve in the copper-dark river, of one yew tree in the forest beyond their husbands too off, of just one song that the moon gave them alone while they dreamed. What made them queens was not what they ruled or owned outside, what belonged to them in the physical world, but the fact that each had come to see that her power dwelt in the bowl of her pelvis, in a great vessel there ringed in earth and root and light. Each had sat down suddenly into that power, like a raindrop falling into a dark pool into its center, falling and making its center as it fell, so that the circle it made in the water generated the perfect expanding rings. There was, in fact, no other place to fall but there. No other center point. The problem was that the ripples that moved out around them through the world of men, these ripples weren't received with acceptance or respect very often, much less gentleness. In fact, they were most often met with terror and then anger and sometimes with exile. In those times, there was often nowhere for a woman to sit down in her resonance and not be feared. Even when she did it very quietly, washing laundry and hanging it on the line as expertly and tenderly as before, still, she sent a tremor everywhere. And soon enough, she was at the gate of the nunnery. She was reaching her fingers up to touch the Sheila over the refectory window, smelling warm bread within. She was standing bewildered in the wreckage of her life. All her neat laundry knotted in a tattered rope out the fortress window, begging for sanctuary. All of this still falls to rest among the unseen nuns of Iona. We are still washing up on their shore. Even ruined, half a millennia empty, the spirit sisters come to meet us who walk the rose-red granite stones, who pray beneath the Sheila and for a moment feel the warmth of the long, roofless warming room. They bring warm rye bread to the quiet refectory in our own still center, hot bread with butter and honey, tucking us into a bed that smells of wind from the clothesline, and a softness not unlike the deep moss of the forest, saying, Rest, child, rest, for three days entire. Rest until you are so rested you suddenly spill over and leap up and are ready to begin the business of being alive again, in love with everything, enraptured with the still point at the center of your moving ecstasy. They gather rowan berries to string in our hair. There is a hawthorn growing in the garden that knows our heart's own secret. Everywhere we sit down, the raindrop falling 
making the circle that only its falling can make, and do not run from ourselves, but stay. We are tearing down the world the queens of old sought refuge from, and making something new. And here is a connected poem that speaks to the previous piece about the nunnery at the edge of the world. These two go together, so I thought I would share them together. You can feel this echoing the other and taking it one step further. It's called The Queen of Moss and Green. Where the moss is green and deep sits a queen who has known great loss. Her heart has been a dark pool where rain fell without cease. It took her so long to see clearly again, with every falling drop breaking the surface in cups and rings and ripples. They turned her life into a fingerprint, the lines inside a tree, the heart's topography. There was a still center point where every shadowing drop fell, but she did not understand how to get there. Not for a long time. Not until she dreamed of a crown of gold-wrought myrtle leaves and almost lost her mind with longing for it. Not until she found it on a far shore, only to lose it again, all but a single leaf, which she put on a string around her neck. Not until life crowned her queen of her own country, the dark country of herself. And she sat down, still as dropped rain, on the green moss in the hemlock wood, listening to the dark water. The trees opened. The green moss opened, and there was a twin country cradled in the dark pool, in the crowns of leaves, so light only stars could walk there. This is my country? She asked no one in particular. She was amazed. The old way of queens spoke in the dark water. It spoke in her longing. She said it to herself. I will not give up on love. I will not believe what people say. That true love has left the earth now, like the unicorn in the tapestry has left it. That it is only in story. The love that cleaves us together. The love that makes light from the chasm. The love that spins chaos into creation. The love sky has for earth. The love that walks straight through fear. No matter which way you drop me, I will not stop believing in it. She touched the gold leaf around her neck and remembered dancing. Dancing a circle in the night as the lyre and the lute sang. So many of them dancing all together, but all that really mattered was his strong brown hand holding hers and the stars like gold myrtle leaves overhead. You can make this story any way, the wind said in the woodland of her ancestors. That kind of love has not left the world. It is shaking down the house. It is shaking down your heart. It is dancing the circle in the night. Queen in the moss, queen in the deep, it is breaking down your heart to get back into this world. And so she rises now. She is wearing a strong green dress and leather shoes. She is leaving a dark palace in the night under a waning moon. She mounts her horse in one deep movement. Her bag is light but full, with a bedroll and a small careful sack of her talismans and charms, 
for she sees into two worlds and knows when to bring out her magic. She is leaving to find what she lost. She is riding alone under the stars again. She is going to her own country. She is pulling the threads of her own power from where she had been holding together broken men. But somewhere I will always be dancing and I will always be holding your strong brown hand. But she coils them all back into the little charmed stone on the string around her neck. She gallops out in the silent darkness. Her horse is the color of falling leaves. Her spirit is ambrosia again. It has the scent of wet roses in the glen. She can feel her cloak filling once more with the stars of her beginning. Pleiades, Hyades, Corona Borealis. The gold leaf around her neck dances between her breasts. That night she sleeps in a bed of russet oak leaves. She will not dream anymore of being saved, but only of saving.